what percentage was that that range anxiety? I, I think a few years ago, range anxiety was really the big thing. Um, are you seeing a decrease in in that? Yeah, only about twenty uh, percent of people who do not own EVs are still concerned about uh, range anxiety. Yeah. I think most people now know that modern EVs um, have big enough batteries you can do sort of whatever you want. And I think most people have been witness to the availability of public DC fast charging and the increased numbers of level two charging around town. Yeah. And a lot of new residents of condos have uh, come to be very surprised in a great way that there's level two charging mandated for every parking stall or many parking stalls. Right. So now we get customers that come in that were not shopping for a car at all, have no interest in buying a car, but they've just rented or bought a new condo or right. moved into an existing condo. And they come in and they look at their parking stall and it says, it's like there's an EV charger there. Now all of a sudden they're looking at each other like, well, hold on. If we have charging here, why do we need a gas car? And that's a new question that hasn't really been posed by uh, renters and, and new condo owners in the past. It's like, you know, it's this extra poke and prod from the EV industry. Like, hey, you can have an electric car now. You have a place to charge. So we're seeing a huge number of consumers that were not EV customers, weren't even looking for a car. Now they're looking for an EV because yeah. they can charge it at home. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Joining me on today's EV-friendly podcast episode is Julian Sale. Julian is the owner of Motorize Electric Vehicles, a pre-owned independent used car dealer specializing in the sale of electric vehicles, serving two locations in Victoria. Julian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ken. Absolutely. Uh, let's begin. For those that uh, don't know you, um, what is your personal journey into the automotive industry? Uh, and then uh, we'll segue, and you can tell me about Motorize. I, I, I have to I have to start by saying, with the last name of Sale, I think you were born into this business. Can't change your name, you know. <laughs> no, I uh, yeah. So the introduction into the automotive business is kind of a funny one. I mean, ultimately, I kind of had a thing for uh, for motorcycles when I was a kid. And uh, as a as a as a young man, I I did everything I could to to get closer to motorcycles in one way or another. And I ended up working for a buck an hour at a motorcycle shop. Uh, I started when I was 14, and I quit when I was 30. Once I was done having kids and whatnot, and uh, I I really enjoyed the experience, learning all about the motor vehicle industry and building relationships with customers and learning to keep customers uh, coming back to me over the long. Um, you know, multi-generations, you know, I, I, I saw parents raise their kids and, and get them set up with motorcycles and stuff. And then I saw the kids become young adults and got to get them set up. And I just sort of fell in love with the idea of being in a motor vehicle industry where you get, you know, long, this is a relationship-based business. Anyway, I wanted to be an owner and uh, that didn't work out in the motorcycle industry. So in 07, um, I decided to, uh, to quit my comfy, cushy job and, uh, and, and throw caution to the wind and, and open up my own business. And of course the big recession came. So I opened up Motorize in, uh, in the end of 08, actually, after working for another car dealer for a year and, uh, really enjoyed the business and whatnot. I thought, well, I'm gonna, just going to do this myself cause I'm, I'm not very good at working for others. So, uh, anyway, for some crazy reason, I thought I should open a business. So I did. So I opened up Motorize, um, and uh, I always leaned on hybrids and small fuel efficient cars right in the beginning of Motorize. Uh, you couldn't really get EVs yet. But uh, because it was a bit of a recessionary time, I figured that uh, 
my business would need to be resilient, whether times were booming or busting. And uh, if I focus on the efficient side of things, then I could appeal to the penny pinchers um, and, uh, and and people who were just trying to keep things cheap overall. I thought there's always going to be a market for that. So I started selling hybrids and small economical cars in uh, 07, 08, 09. And then when I got my first uh, Nissan Leaf, you know, like I'd heard about Tesla Roadster and stuff, and I knew that electric cars were sort of on the horizon, kind of, maybe-ish. Mm-hmm. And I uh, saw the movie Who Killed the Electric Car, and I thought, well, wouldn't that be cool to get into EVs? But there was just no access to inventory for the first while. Well, in 2011, I had a, had the opportunity to buy a used uh, Nissan Leaf out of Seattle, so I did. And uh, I knew right at that point, holy cow, if this is what we can get today, uh, just like, you know, cell phones and microwave ovens, it's like, just uh, take take the first version, okay, add 20 years to it and see where the market's at. And I just thought, well, this is a no-brainer. Uh, if I get in early on EVs, I can probably make a good name within the business and, and learn how to run an automotive dealership and, uh, and grow it um, out of a recession, selling something that should be recession-proof, because I always come every 10, 12, 15 years, here we are. And, um, yeah, so that's it. That's kind of how motorized was born. Um, we, we sold, uh, internal combustion vehicles up until, uh, the spring of 2016 when there finally was enough inventory that, uh, that we could not purchase internal combustion stuff and just stick uh, strictly with EVs. Uh, we faced a lot of significant and insanely large challenges, uh, over the last few years, but, uh, it's been good. It's a good growing business. We have a nice customer base. We sell used EVs from every brand. And uh, now we're getting into those uh, generational sort of business models where people just keep coming back. And you're one of the very few out there that actually specialize in just EVs. Um, there's, I don't there's know too a few many now. independents that are just specializing in the, in the EV line. Uh, it's a tough gig because, um, you know, like if, if you're a dealer and you want to sell inventory, it's, it's nice when everything is smooth and consistent. But in the EV world, it's been a little challenging because as an independent dealer, for example, you know, I was up against the wall when uh, um, rebates came out on new vehicles, but there was nothing for used. Uh, so that, you know, there, there have been issues where I had, you know, all my eggs in one basket with Nissan Leafs, for example, in 2016, I had, uh, I don't know, I just bought 22 of those in a day. All my inventory was sitting on transport trucks and Nissan issued a recall uh, that was uh, going to affect my ability to sell these cars. And it took them six months to fix. So I had to lay off all my staff and just sit yeah. on inventory and bleed for months while, while I waited for these recalls to get fixed. And so there's, there's all sorts of challenges that, that exist in the EV world right. that, that don't exist uh, for dealers who are selling conventional vehicles. So it's it's been a, a grind, but it's also been highly exciting, uh, very profitable at times, and uh, it's been an amazing business to grow. Um, well, I, I did uh, so. I, I did manage to visit the uh, the motorized website uh, and have yeah. a look at your inventory. You have a lot of vehicles sold. Yeah, which is which is good. So what what are you dealing with now? What what is popular for? the used EV market, what's not popular? Or is there anything that is not? Selling? Well, I mean, it's a tough question to answer. What's popular? That's kind of a floating target because that that question is tied into what's affordable and what's available. And those are not always, they don't always line up together. So I'll just a quick backstory. When we started selling basically Nissan Leafs, Kia Souls, BMW i3s and whatnot, they got really popular in 2014 because they were actually available, right? So that's the available 
uh, component. Um, and you know, the average uh, ticket price on a vehicle was like basically 25 to 30 grand for several years up until about 2019. And we did a super, super high volume in 2019. And our average ticket item was, I think 30 grand or 29 grand or something in 2019. Well, when COVID hit and inventory supplies got really, really tight, the vehicle values went up and up and up. And our average selling price in 2022 was $58,000. So if you think about the number of people who can afford an article, the, the percentage of the population that can afford to purchase something um, is uh, like, there's a larger percentage of people who can afford to buy something at a lower price than at a higher price. So we've really struggled with affordability. The prices have been really, really high for the last two years. And now prices are coming down and we're finally starting to see people trade in, you know, economical seven, eight, 10 year old Nissan Leafs and buy something with longer range. So um yeah, I can't remember what your exact question was, but basically we've, we've struggled with affordability. Now we have that. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of leading into my to the second question I had, because I did want to discuss about the supply chain. Uh, we know the supply chain is really affecting the new. There can be up to a year, a year and a half waiting lists. Um, are you getting that on the used end? Are you having customers come in? I want this particular kind of car. And you say, you're looking at six months or a year to get it. Um, you have inventory uh, yeah. available now? I have access to almost all inventory right now. I mean, Tesla has been building their production capacity at a furious pace, uh, mm -hmm. far eclipsing any other manufacturer. So access to Tesla vehicles is very good because they've been selling a lot of vehicles over the past number of years, and there is no wait time on new Teslas. They're producing as much as people will consume and then slightly more. So mm -hmm. Tesla has about 13 days of inventory in stock of pretty much all models. Um, so that makes it really easy for me to get inventory. Um, I, people like, as long as I have Tesla's in stock, people will trade in other vehicles, other EVs, like Leafs, i3s, Souls, Kona's, EV6s, you know, pretty much anything on the market that get traded in. Um, so I have no problem with inventory right now. However, uh, last summer we did see massive shortages that really, really caused some problems for the business. Um, like in July of last year, I I had six cars in stock at one point, and I had two people trying to buy full time, and the prices were just getting so high. It uh, you know, like you go to the auction, you look at the prices, you're like, hold on, a new one's fifty grand. I might be able to sell it for sixty. And somebody's paying seventy five for it. Like, how is that even a thing? It's that's crazy. Yeah, where where the price of used uh, outpaces new. Oh, it was like that for quite a while. Yeah, I yeah. was paying way over MSRP for everything used for. Is that is that settling down now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it settled down quite a bit. Um, I mean, every manufacturer is working hard to ramp up production. It's a tricky place to be to be an OEM that's producing an electric car who wants to uh, put their best foot forward and put their best product forward. But if they're not profitable on an EV, yet they really, really want to sell the EV because they're trying to attract the future generation of customers. They're trying to sell somebody an EV today, knowing that they'll trade it in for something slightly cooler that comes with a hotter paint color and bigger wheels three years down the road. Just like the cycle of, of internal combustion vehicles, dealers want to sell these EVs like crazy so that they can get on to unit number two, uh, which is going to be profitable, hopefully. But uh, it's a kind of a sticky situation for the entire market right now because Tesla has just dropped their pricing big time, right. shaved a huge amount of money off their cars. They've got the best cars on the market with the biggest margins. They can afford to do it. The other guys can't afford to do it. Well, now Ford, Ford has followed with the Mach-E. Yeah, but they're losing money. And that's money, really yeah. hard. That's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, they're going to have to endure some short-term pain until they can increase the volume such that they can bring the per-cost unit down. 
how does that how is that going to affect the used market uh, when that car traded back in two years, three years from now? Uh, well, my position is always the same. I'll take every EV I can get. Uh, everything that's available, I'll take it, bring it to me, and I'll buy it. Um, I can sell everything that we can get, so it's it's not a big deal for here. I think I think it's good overall. I mean, yeah, it's going to push the prices down on the inventory that consumers own right now. They're going to see less money on trade-in in a year or two when they come back to to, to get another unit. Um, but on the bright side, if they're buying a new unit, it's going to be uh, price lower than it was before. So mm -hmm. it's like buying and selling in the housing market. When the market's up, yeah, you pay more for a new house, but you sell sell your old house for more. Yeah. It's the same thing with cars. So it's it's kind of a wash, really. But the important uh, thing that's I think the most important factor is that the average selling price is coming down. And as the average selling price comes down, a larger portion of the population uh, can uh, see that as affordable and will make the purchase. Right. So as long as manufacturers are focused on manufacturing in higher volume so that they can bring their cost down, then these uh, new lower retail prices that you see right across the board on new and used are going to spur interest even further and uh, and push the adoption even more quickly. So it's when kind it of like all green lights. Yeah, so price point is an obvious advantage to use, um, but when it comes to the EV market, what what other advantages, uh, if I'm th considering getting an EV, uh, uh, what other advantages are there to buying used now and maybe holding off on the new? Uh, more selection, really. I mean, you know, if if you go to if a consumer goes into Tesla, for example, to drive a 2022 Model 3, the salesperson is is going to show them a 2022 Model 3, but won't have any information regarding why you might actually want to look for a used one, such as the fact that it's lighter and faster and costs less and has a more energy-dense battery. Um, you know, so the salesperson is not, not necessarily going to have all the answers for everything. It's going used. Yeah. There, there's lots of good stuff out there that that's available used. Um, there have been a lot of options changes between all the different manufacturers, uh, and uh, comparing new stuff with used stuff does actually provide a, quite a difference in in model configuration and selection. So I think uh, if a buyer was shooting for a used EV a year ago or two years ago, they would have been hard pressed to get a good selection. But now it's a buyer's market. Prices are down and there's a ton of stuff from so many different manufacturers on the market and available today. So it's uh, the used market's pretty good. Great. Um, in BC, uh, we could say that we're probably leaders in North America in our uptake of uh, the new car sales anyways. I think we're just under about the 19% mark uh, to, to meet those uh, mandated sales targets. Um, the rest of the country is sort of lagging. What is your typical kind of customer now? Are you just still seeing the early adopters, those enthusiasts? Uh, are you seeing people who are maybe been a little skeptical or been holding off? Or are you starting to see those kinds of customers and they're just curious? Well, we're always trying to learn as much as we can about the EV segment. Um, to answer your question, in the beginning, we were selling to, you know, people that were either economically driven, environmentally driven, or socially driven. Those are the three different groups of people that would buy EVs as early adopters. They had a, something in their head. They were going to deviate from that path, and the EV was the quickest way to get there. So they would buy an EV. Those are the early adopters. We're reaching, reaching mass adoption now. Um now they're at a price that's low enough and the availability is high enough. We get kids right out of high school are buying EVs. We get, uh, I just sold a smart EV to a guy who's 95 years old. He's taken his Austin Healey into the paint shop. It's going to be three months to get uh, the rust fixed. And uh, he wanted something to rip around in. So he's like a smart EV. Perfect. I'll take it. Um, 
there are there's the whole host of people we've got the families that are packing a whole bunch of kids around we've got the serial travelers who want to cross the country and they buy a car with free unlimited supercharging we've got this ski uh, family who needs all-wheel drive SUV and they take an Audi e-tron they're like this is perfect for Whistler we've got like there's nobody who's not buying EVs now right even even the skeptic I, I mean are, are you getting any skeptics coming on the lot and yeah they buy EVs them? too no no they, they they buy EVs too it's hilarious like I just did a uh I just did uh, uh, we had a Royals Eco Night hockey game. Okay, every year the Victoria EV Association puts on. Um, they they, they kind of take over the Save on Foods Memorial Arena downtown Victoria for a Royals hockey game, and they were Royals were playing against Kamloops Blazers, and, and they won. Thank God. Um, and uh, so Eco Night was really exciting. So I wanted to learn more about our customers, and uh, so we created a little uh, a little a little sort of like a raffle ticket form. And on one side, it says, I am an EV owner. People can tick that box, fill it this side of the raffle entry. We're giving away an Ego electric leaf blower. And uh, so the question one, we asked people, how long ago did you buy your current EV? Was it one year or less, two to three years, four to five years, or more than five years ago? The next question is, is it your first EV? Yes, no, it's my second, or I've owned many. So we're like collecting a little data here. It's really interesting to see who's who. And then the third question we asked people, does your EV meet your needs? And the answers were, yes, it's amazing. Yes, but I wish it had more range. Yes, but I wish it was bigger. Or no, I'm ready for a change. Now on the back side, it says, I'm not an EV owner. They could fill out this side if they're not. And so we only asked two questions of the people who are not currently an EV owner. Are you considering buying an EV in the future? And the answers are, uh, yes, I'm currently looking for one. Yes, I'm on a waiting list. Maybe in a few years, or no, I'm waiting for flying cars, kind of as a joke, but it's like, yeah. no. But And then below that, uh, we asked people, what factors, if any, are holding you back from buying an EV? And the options to choose from were cost, range, size, availability, home charging, the charging network, my current car still works, or other. And uh, I was pleased to see that about 35% of the people that came by our booth were already EV owners, and half of those had already owned two or more EVs and had become EV owners more than five years ago. Um, uh, roughly two-thirds of the people who came by uh, are not EV owners, and half of those are considering buying an EV as their next car sometime in the near future, unless they already had one on order right. uh, or were in the process of buying. Well, so. What what percentage, Julian? What percentage was that that range anxiety? I, I think a few years ago, range anxiety was really the big thing. Um, are you seeing a decrease in in that? Yeah, only about twenty uh, percent of people who do not own EVs are still concerned about uh, range anxiety. Yeah. I think most people now know that modern EVs um, have big enough batteries you can do sort of whatever you want. And I think most people have been witness to the availability of public DC fast charging and the increased numbers of level two charging around town. Yeah. And a lot of new residents of condos have uh, come to be very surprised in a great way that there's level two charging mandated for every parking stall or many parking stalls. Right. So now we get customers that come in that were not shopping for a car at all, have no interest in buying a car, but they've just rented or bought a new condo or right. moved into an existing condo. And they come in and they look at their parking stall and it says, it's like there's an EV charger there. Now all of a sudden they're looking at each other like, well, hold on. If we have charging here, why do we need a gas car? And that's a new question that hasn't really been posed by uh, renters and, and new condo owners in the past. It's like, you know, it's this extra 
poke and prod from the EV industry, like, hey, you can have an electric car now. You have a place to charge. So we're seeing a huge number of consumers that were not EV customers, weren't even looking for a car. Now they're looking for an EV because yeah. they can charge it at home. Are, are you seeing less? Are, are you able now, because that range anxiety is uh, still there, but it's decreased, are you able to get them, is it, or is it easier to get them into the right car? Because uh, I think there's a tendency with range anxiety to overbuy. I think we see that in the market in general, buying too big a car, or it's just because of the perception that, well, I may take that 800-kilometer trip one day. I, I, I better have the biggest battery possible. Yeah, I think, yeah, when you're buying a cell phone, you buy the biggest screen with 10,000 cameras and it, blah, blah, blah. We all do the same thing, right? Um, we, we all actually buy a little bit more than we need, but people are willing to splurge a little bit on EVs, I think. Um, I, I think so. Okay, there, there's a couple of ways to answer that question, but at the end of the day, there's enough inventory for everybody. Uh, some people want the latest thing. Some people just want the biggest battery, and they don't care how comfortable seats are. Some people want all-wheel drive, and they don't care what brand it is. You know, we've got people from every walk of life that are buying for so many different reasons. But there's enough stuff in the industry right now to keep everybody satisfied, with the exception of pickup truck and cargo van uh, uh, owners, drivers. Mm -hmm. These people are like chronically underserved, hopefully not for too much longer, but, um, well, with Rivian and the cyber truck, um, there's, yeah. Although, although I talked to a guy last night, uh, who's trading in a, his 2019 model three. Um, he got a call from Rivian saying, and he lives in Victoria. He says he was got a call and I think he was supposed to be expecting his Rivian pickup truck within two months here. And that would be the first Canadian delivery I've heard of. I've yeah. seen lots of Rivians. I've been in them. I've checked them out. They're amazing, but they all had California, Oregon, Washington plates on them. Yeah. So they're going to be well, delivering in Canada real quick. We even we even had a lucid sighting on Vancouver Island. Oh uh, yeah, first, I know a guy who's got one. one. Yeah, no, there's there's a few. There's like five over here. When it comes to the batteries, uh, I think certainly what we hear um, and the most searched it, uh, item on Google uh, is batteries, and I think there is some anxiety there uh, about the price of batteries. We hear the horror stories. The guy holding up his bill from Tesla for twenty-four thousand—is um, that a real concern now that you're seeing in the used market, where people are coming in? Uh, they want to know what the state of health is. Um, they're unsure about that. What can you explain about that? Well, yeah, I think people accidentally make it more complicated than it is. Uh, so first things first, if you're buying a used car, you should know what you're buying. So you have to talk to the person who's uh, selling you the vehicle and ask really good questions like, what condition is the battery in? And what is the warranty on the battery? And how much manufacturer's warranty is covering this vehicle? And what exactly does it cover? And until how long or how many kilometers? You know, these are all things that should be discussed up front. And a consumer would be wise to also ask questions like, oh, okay, so historically, uh, when do these things wear out? Uh, at how many kilometers should I expect to encounter a large service bill? Can I get a warranty that will cover against the most likely failures? And, uh, you know, uh, what do these cars look like at 200K, 300K, 500K? You can ask a dealer, what kind of things have you seen fail on these cars and why? And how much should it cost? These are all great questions for consumers to ask their dealers. And if your dealer knows what they're talking about, then they'll be able to give you fantastic answers to these questions. Uh, regarding the battery, I would say that if you look at the beginning of the EV industry uh, and air-cooled batteries in the 24-kilowatt-hour variety pouch-style cells from Kia and Nissan were not great in the beginning. The 2011-2012 Nissan Leafs 
they were actually an amazing car that did very, very well given what technology was available at the time. But those are not long-lasting batteries. Thankfully, you can retrofit a newer battery all the way up to the newest 62 kilowatt hour battery it goes into the old 2011, 2012 Leaf. Mm -hmm. So you can breathe new life into these cars with a junkyard battery out of a car that gets wiped out. Um, right. So do you see that? Do you see that growth in that industry then, uh, where down the road it's just easy swap it's happening out? Now. It's happening now. Yeah, yeah, it's happening now. We got a guy named Tom Sawyer in Victoria. Uh, he's he just put a, a forty kilowatt hour battery in a twenty twelve Leaf. He brought it by the other day. It shows four hundred kilometers range in a car that only went uh, one hundred and sixty when it was new, and the battery was like ten grand. So mm -hmm. most people are never going to buy a battery. However. If you buy an older cheap EV with an air-cooled battery that's not in great condition, then you have two options. Either, only, well, like you have to buy the EV that's appropriate for you. So if somebody said, listen, I've got a daily commute of 100K, well, I would sell them a car that has an, a, an easily, uh, like an easy capacity of 200K or more to do a daily trip of 100. Because I, like, I wouldn't want to set up a customer for failure. And then we have to talk about things like how much does the battery degrade on a yearly basis? If you lose 2% per year on a car with 400K uh, range, well, the, by the time the car is like ancient and rusty and the doors and bumpers are falling off it and it has a million K on it, it's still going to have more range than anybody needs. Um, right. But if you're talking about a, a Nissan Leaf that only went 160 when it was new, and now it's 10 years old and the battery's at 50%, well, that car will actually be an amazing car for perhaps a retired person who only drives around within a 10-kilometer radius because the car will have a real range of 60. But you give that car to somebody who works downtown and lives in Souk or lives in Abbotsford and wants to go to North Van, like it's not happening. So yeah. you have to buy the right car. You, know? you have to buy the uh, – absolutely. Um, and I guess that's how you're seeing your role – and because because you, you do have well-trained professional salespeople uh, to consult with the customers, make sure that they're getting in the right car. Well, we ask a lot of questions. Uh, like, yeah. you know, if somebody comes in and says, hey, I like the green one. Uh, well, we're going to ask a lot of questions. Like, how many people are you moving around? Do you have a 240-volt capacity in your uh, panel to, to put a 40-amp breaker so we can charge this thing quickly? And, um, you know, what uh, what are you doing with it? Do you need to do a trailer? You can put a bike rack on the back. Mm -hmm. So we ask a lot of questions. How far do you go? Do you have that? Uh, do you have workplace charging? Are you going to be charging underground? Do you have a safe place to plug the car in at home? Will a cord be able to reach the car? You know, there's a, quite a few questions that we ask, but in a whopping five minutes, we can we can narrow down our our customers' uh, search criteria such right. that we can find an EV that's going to be perfect for them most of the time. Uh, let's switch to government and incentives. Um, how do you see the role of government um, in the, we'll say, in the used market um, to help meet these sales targets? They, they've set some aggressive targets. Um, what can the government do uh, to help that? Well, I think the government has been proactive in addressing a few different critical areas. One of them uh, is the tax rebate. Uh, that's a big deal. So having a PSD exemption on used electric vehicles is critical, and that speaks to the affordability of of EVs. Um, not everybody can afford a fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar car. So right. if you're in a, 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 a part of the population that's more comfortable spending fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, that uh, PSD exemption is going to be a big deal. Right, and just just for people outside of the, the BC. Uh, that's a 7%, basically about a 7% reduction. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a minimum seven percent reduction on the on the cost of the the, the well on the tax of the car, the provincial tax. So right. there's also been some government uh, incentives uh, off new cars at the federal and the provincial level, and those make a massive difference. You know, they can cut the value of a car by ten percent, or cut the cost of the car by ten percent. Doesn't affect the value. But uh, that that's huge. Uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, anytime you reduce the cost of a vehicle, a larger uh, portion of the population can afford it. When you increase profitability or uh, sorry, affordability, um, it's really going to make a meaningful impact in order to bump up the number of units delivered. That has to go in conjunction with the manufacturer's like ability to produce the vehicles. Mm -hmm. So when you get a, a producer who's like, yeah, well, no more orders for 2023. Uh, like you, you can't take any more orders. I had a friend at a Hyundai dealer who told me that he's like, we're not allowed to order any more 2023s. They're going to get some and they show up. Uh, most of them are spoken for and a few of them are available for stock. Uh, but that's a big contrast, you know, so a dealer that gets 10 or 12 EVs a month, uh, well, great that they've got 10 or 12. That's very helpful. And they're, they are serving their customers the best they can. But you look at Tesla and Victoria is delivering like 40 a week, like minimum. That's a quiet, quiet, sleepy week at Tesla. Uh, in Victoria and over on the mainland, you see well over a hundred. Um, yeah. And if you add up all it, the different service locations, you might see 150 a day for sales locations. So it's like, yeah, the the government incentives help. Um, they really help when when the manufacturers are able to produce the vehicles and get them delivered to customers. Uh, another area awareness is a big deal. Um, when the government starts to put money into DC fast charging and uh, pro provides grant money to businesses and uh, condos and all that stuff to increase the number of charging facilities available yeah. and increase the, the the visibility of of public charging that that makes a, a big difference when people see that there's chargers everywhere and it's easy to commute and they see people charging their evs and then leaving happy uh, they're more willing to buy the vehicles so that that's huge but the you next have, thing the have, government uh, does, go ahead do you have a dc fast charge at your dealerships no, no, no. Would, I don't would, have electrical a, infrastructure. Would, would barely run a microwave. So would grants for businesses to install those be a good incentive? Oh, yeah. They're, they're an amazing incentive. I mean, it comes down to location, right? So like my Sydney location is like it's in an industrial area. Nobody would ever go there. Um, we get Gulf Islands customers shop at Canadian Tire North Saanich, and then they turn around and go back. But where my Sydney store is, we have a level two, and it's public, and it's free, and it's accessible 24-7, and it gets used by the public about three times a year. So there's no demand for public charging where I'm at, but it is location-based. People will use public charging at everything from beaches to dog parks to public parks to park and rides to rest stops um, and then transportation routes. You know, when there's, mm -hmm. if you put charging stations along the way next to a coffee shop or a shopping center or whatever along a busy transportation route, it's going to get used like crazy. And then people will feel more comfortable to utilize that route um, because they know they can get there in their EV. Yeah. How how aware are people of the the incentives that are out there? Like, are they coming in knowing about the PST uh, rebate, or is this something they learn? When they, when I they believe the public perception is that the rebates have come and gone over the years, and they're a little bit murky, and customers don't necessarily know what to expect. So nobody ever comes in and says, "I'm here because there is a rebate." What they say is, uh, I'm interested in an EV, and I understand there might be some rebates. Can you tell me about the rebates? And then so we just explain what the current program is, and then they buy an EV. Right. Um, so we've had the mandates out for a while. BC was one of the first, along with Quebec. Um, um, but those were just uh, those were just 
targets. Uh, the federal government now has recently announced they're going to come out with regulations that are going to mandate the targets up to, I think, about 25% by 2026, uh, ultimately 100% of all new car sales by 2035, or the manufacturers are going to face some sort of a penalty. Uh, do you see that? What do you think the impact of that could be on the whole EV market? Is it going to cause manufacturers to concentrate on manufacturing the luxury and the high-end vehicles at the cost of manufacturing a more mass-produced EV? Mm, I, I don't think so. I think the smart money for any manufacturer is to get a low-cost, high-production EV out there so they can meet those government targets and sell their customers a product which is going to meet their immediate needs and impress the customer with new levels of safety and autonomy and right. new levels of uh, um, low cost per kilometer computing, low cost maintenance and everything, commuting, not computing. I think uh, if manufacturers can get to a low cost EV that is just basically a starter level, then they can get the customers back in two, three years later after they buy a set of tires and whatever, trade them up into something else. And they'll just have an EV offering that's big enough that they can sustain those you know that it's again it's a generational thing ev well, manufacturers that, that, need to have something that people want to buy that's affordable that they can produce in big enough numbers to actually like deliver cars so that could come from china that could come from neil oh which yeah which is going to be entering the yeah, market yeah there's a lot of incentives to produce within the us though and canada canada plays a big part in manufacturing like canada's automotive manufacturing sector is is tremendous it's huge um, yeah, we, we have a lot of manufacturing in Ontario, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see more spread around. But everything from uh, the mining of raw materials to uh, processing to parts manufacturing, Canada is already huge in that, and so is the United States. You know, every automaker, uh, pretty much uh, that's from Germany or Japan, uh, is is already building in the United States and already building uh, bigger battery factories and whatnot to to plan future expansion. So. The um, yeah, and, and and every time there's more investment within the industry, the costs come down. So we're looking at more more models on the horizon at a lower price point and higher manufacturing capacity, which is going to help the dealers deliver what they're supposed to deliver in order to meet yeah. government targets. And and the used market, the used market has always served that role. It's allowed um, it's allowed people access into the market. Not everyone can afford new. Uh, I remember my student days going to university, driving around what we used to call beaters. Um, this is a vehicle that you could purchase anywhere between two or five thousand um, dollars. Are we going to see an EV market in the future for that, or is it going to just come down to a price point um, where it just won't go below that, maybe because of the cost of the battery or maintenance? Um, Ken, first of all, I'd like to point out that makes you sound like a high roller. My beaters were two to five hundred, and yours were two to five thousand. <laughs> I've had a few. I had a few two hundred ones as well. <laughs> I remember buying a Ford Crown Vic once, and it, it was two hundred dollars. I bought it from Budget Car Sales, and it had a new battery and a full tank of fuel, which cost one hundred and seventy-one. Wow! I'm like, this is a good deal. They're 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 a great first car for a student or for someone young or just someone you know what who just has to get back and forth to work. We don't see that yet. Do you think we ever will? So okay, so here's the catch. Uh, so think about the demographic that buys the beater car. They're usually doing food delivery. Like I used to deliver pizza when I was a kid, 
and I had a cheap little Honda Civic 74 and it was cheap and I bought it cause it was cheap and it would help me deliver pizza. Okay. So as a kid, and now I'm looking at skip the dishes drivers and whatnot, and I'm thinking, geez, all these people could, could use EVs and, and, and cheap EVs should be fine, but it's a range thing, right? So right now, if you buy an EV that's 10 grand, it's going to have a pretty old battery. It's going to be an older model, short range EV. It's going to be great for, you know, a, a mom who's driving her kids or a dad who's driving their kids like 6K or 10K or 12K to school and back and going to work. It's good for region, like close regional city stuff. But um, soon, we like within a year, I think we'll be at a point where, um, you know, five grand will probably get you a car that could do 120 kilometers. This would be like a, a rough hammered up old Nissan Leaf. They'd still go 120K, but it's just a cheap old car, right? Mm -hmm. We're almost at that point. Um, I think when when EVs will go absolutely bananas in terms of sales in the used market is when that price point gets low enough that you can get, you know, like a Model 3. Like a Model 3 with 500,000K on it right now is still selling for 25 grand. But in another three years, that's going to be like 17 grand. You know what I mean? And soon mm -hmm. you'll have a Model 3 with 700,000K and it'll be eight grand because it's going to be, you know, hammered. But right. these cars are amazing cars and they seem to last nearly forever. All the modern batteries, you know, produced after the stuff I was talking about earlier, like Kia Souls and Nissan Leaf old school batteries. You start to look at cars that are produced in 2017, 2018 and newer. Battery tech is amazing. Nobody's ever going to buy a battery for these cars. So, mm -hmm. yeah, they, they, there will be EV beaters and they will be cheap. Um, we've already sold a few Leafs under 10 grand uh, that are great cars. They just yeah. don't go very far. So, the, yeah, right. We don't, get, get we don't replace the batteries, we replace the driver. That's right. Um, so EVs have shaped, I think, our perception of driving. Um, how are they changing the business model for the buy and sell? Uh, are you seeing an increase in online sales? Are you seeing uh, a, a more, is it the, or is it the same old, is the, the tire kicking and the negotiating, or how is this evolving? Well, I might not be the best guy to ask because my business has always been kind of online focused. Um, I, yeah, I don't, we, we do a lot over the phone and online. And when people come to kick tires here, I find the majority of our consumers kind of already know what they want. Mostly they've probably been on the website and they've probably done a whole bunch of searching and they probably consulted with some friends and family members who've already bought EVs and they've probably consulted online and done all this stuff. So when they come in, it's usually like, yeah, I looked at your website. I want either that one, that one, or that one. Tell me the difference. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, we still get the people who come in, they've never been in an, in an EV ever. And they say, yeah, I just want to see what it's like. And they're surprised when there's no engine, you know, so we get the absolute green first timers. And then we get other people who come in and they have two EVs to trade in and they want to buy two new ones. And, you know, so we yeah. get the full gamut now. Yeah. So, uh, some, uh, some final thoughts for you. Um, where do you think we're going to be in five to 10 years in this pre-owned used vehicle industry? Uh, yeah, great question. I don't know. I think, yeah, it's really interesting. In my opinion, um, so Victoria is a little slow. Vancouver's a little slow in terms of like global stuff. If you look at China, they've got low cost uh, EVs that are produced in massive numbers and they're being adopted at an extremely, like at a furious pace. Um, there's all sorts of industries that are going to open up, uh, like battery recycling is a massive, massive industry. 
Um, there's all sorts of stuff that's going to open up and, and grow and support a lot of extra jobs as EVs grow and become more popular. Uh, the prices will continue to fall and you'll see EVs in more drivers' uh, driveways. I don't think we're going to, in 10 years from now, I don't think we're going to see a lot of young people owning cars. Um, I think the car ownership model is uh, is is shrinking and will continue to shrink over time, and we'll probably get more into uh, a little heavier mix of fleet vehicles and autonomous taxis in the future when legislation catches up. And as right. like as I mentioned, Victoria, Vancouver, a little bit slow on uh, that stuff. Like, how long did it take us to get Uber, right? Um, but um, I don't know. Like everything's a little bit slow to get going here. But I think I, I think the market will continue to grow. We'll still see more EVs and more driveways. But it does. It, it is worth mentioning that the cost of insurance is getting ridiculous. The cost of interest is now high. The cost yeah. of EVs has been high for a long time. And if you look at somebody who's 10 years old now, and you ask them, are you going to own a car? And then you tell them how much it's going to cost to own that car. They would probably shake their head and just say, no, that's way too expensive. Why would I ever do that? Now, if you yeah. couple that with the fact that uh, ride hailing services do drop the cost per mile per kilometer of transportation, uh, and will continue to push that price down, uh, the the thought of, of individual car ownership um, is going to diminish over time. Uh, as people like you and me grew up, we always had cars and we buy and sell cars and we love owning cars. Um, it's going away. The number of parking stalls per um, per residence is going down. You know, driveways yeah. are getting smaller all the yeah. time. You know, you drive through a neighborhood where the, where the houses were built in the 70s and you could park four cars in most driveways drive through a new subdivision right now that was just built and you get lucky to get a small car in one driveway in front of each house. And you're like, okay, wait a second, where are the cars supposed to go? So we are going to a, a, a fewer cars owned per person model. Um, but then you're going to see more, more kind of taxi and, uh, and, and I don't know, you're going to see a change in, in the, in, in the type of transportation people use I, over time. I, I definitely think we will. I, I, I see electric as a first wave and automation is just really, it's already starting to follow. And Tesla's been a leader in that. So if you want to see this, keep following Tesla if you want to know what the future is going to be in, in the next two to three yeah. years even. There's a lot of others that are working on autonomy too, but I just like, they're they're really a long way away. Like Mercedes just released, uh, well, Mercedes just announced a couple of days ago that in Nevada, you'll be able to use their level three autonomous driving. But if you read the fine print, it only works when you're in traffic. If you don't have a car in front of you, it won't work. It has to pace the car in front of you. And it only works up to 40 miles an hour. And it only works in Nevada, only on selected highways. Yeah. yeah. So it's like... Anyway, so yeah, there there are lots of companies that are working on autonomy, and it is coming. But it'll be the Tesla would be the first one that gets it. So, so uh, Julian, if someone is in the market for an EV, uh, and uh, they don't have to be restricted to the Victoria, that you you can serve all of BC uh, or even beyond, uh, how do, how do they get a hold of you? Well, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. We do ship cars all over BC all the time. Well, not all the time, but sometimes. But uh, yeah, people can reach us by uh, just visiting our website, which is motorized.ca, M-O-T-O-R-I-Z-E dot C-A. Uh, you can call us at 778-440-6686. And uh, if you're in the neighborhood, come by, but please do book an appointment first because uh, there's only one of me right now. And our office staff is running around like chickens with their heads cut off. 
but we have a lot of inventory uh, and we are always happy to do uh, overnight test drives with people. Um, we find consumers uh, maybe don't feel super confident making the switch from internal combustion to electric if they only get a 10-minute test drive or if they're right. on a wait list, but they never get to see and touch the vehicle. So mm -hmm. at Motorize, we'll have people come in, we'll ask some questions, figure out what is the most appropriate vehicle, narrow it down to one or two. I'll throw you the keys and I always tell people, listen, take it home enjoy it, drive it, take it to Costco, fill the thing up with kids and groceries and do what you do with the car and either come back with a check or come back with the keys. And uh, that's kind of how we sell cars. Right on. Yeah. Julian, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Yeah, it's been a pleasure uh, catching up. I appreciate all the wonderful questions and I hope some of the information here has been useful. I enjoyed uh, joining you today. Excellent. If you've enjoyed today's uh, podcast, uh, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, if you're too busy to, to watch a full video podcast, check out EV Friendly on the Go wherever you download your audio podcast. Mm -hmm.